You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, John Paul taking calls 0818 103 103. Anything you want to uh, share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can text our uh, WhatsApp to 086 103 103. And of course, today is the 29th of February, a leap uh, day. Particularly looking for anyone that has a birthday today. Uh, let us know any names of any birthdays and, and we'll certainly give them a shout out. I know we don't normally do a birthday request during the programme, but uh, I think anyone born on Leap Day uh, surely deserves uh, to get recognition. There's a little girl in the papers today technically celebrating her first birthday because she was born um, the, our last Leap Year would, 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 would have been in uh, 2020 actually just when you think about it just before the pandemic it was the kind of the time when we were hearing all the stuff that was coming out of, of China. We were starting to hear about what was going on in Italy and there was this huge fear of the unknown was it going to reach Ireland and yet in some ways it's hard to believe that that is four years ago. Anyway, uh, for a little girl by the name of Eve O'Connor, she is from County Mayo. She's technically celebrating her fourth birthday today, even though she was born four uh, years ago. And there's a lovely picture of her with her mum on a swing and the mum saying she's going to make a real big fuss about her first official birthday uh, today. But Leap Day babies, I didn't know this, they're known as leaplings because of the fact that they only get to celebrate their official birthday every uh, four years. And though legally they become one year older on the 1st of March each year in between the leap year. And that's interesting because I read about those sisters yesterday. I mean, complete coincidence of two sisters born four years apart, both born on the 29th of February. And the mother there was saying that they opt to celebrate their birthdays on the 28th of February because they like to keep their birthday in February. February, but technically and legally, it's the 1st of March on the other uh, years when we don't have a, a leap year. Uh, so happy birthday to any of the leap year babies who would have been born uh, over the years. 0818 103 103. And I can see somebody sent in a text just wanting to wish Finbar Sheehan from Mallow a very speedy uh, recovery. This is from Francis Reardon who says Finbar would make a great politician. Uh, we're going to be speaking with Finbar. I did a pre-recorded interview with him yesterday afternoon uh, when I came off air because during the morning, obviously he's, uh, people in Mallow will know Finbar uh, well, well known community man and unfortunately he suffered a stroke. He's, he's only 49 but he uh, suffered a stroke uh, over a week ago now and he's been a patient up at uh, CUH and so we're catching up with him uh, today just to talk about how he's more importantly how he's getting on and, and on his journey of uh, recovery but he also wants to highlight and uh, speak up for people who perhaps are not able to speak up for themselves when they're inside in hospital. And he says, you know, it's only when you go into hospital, you see how understaffed certain sections of the health service are. And it can be really, really difficult on people. And he, I think he in particular wants to speak up on behalf of older people who may not have the wherewithal to be able to speak up for themselves. And, and he'll share some of what he's been experiencing while he is a patient. And he's in a high dependency unit and you would think high dependency units by their very nature, you would think would be the ones that would have the most staff available to the patients. But it doesn't seem to be the case, particularly at, at night. And uh, we'll, I'll play out that interview that I did with uh, Fimber after after 11 on the programme uh, today. 0818 Yesterday, the subject of vapes, the electronic 
cigarettes and the disposable vapes came up on the programme and in particular it was the listener who had been in at a local shop that's very close to two schools and what this caller was uh, telling us telling us was that there was a sign up saying there's a special offer on vapes on Fridays only. I think it was something like three vapes for, for 20 euro and this listener felt that the fact that this shop is so close to schools and a lot of school, school children go in there in the morning and at lunchtime and you know when they're heading home in the evening he felt that a lot of that advertisement was being aimed at children. Now I did make the point it is illegal to sell any kind of electronic cigarettes or disposable vapes to under 18s but that's not stopping school children and teenagers in particular from getting their hands on them because I said I pass a secondary school every day and the amount of young people that are vaping is just it's unreal it is unreal but and I'm not saying that this is a plus I'm not seeing young people smoking but there is certainly a huge number of them uh, vaping well the Finance Minister Michael McGrath speaking yesterday is saying there is going to be tougher new restrictions on the sale of vapes and they're likely to come into effect later on this year. For example, uh, there could be the potential that if a shop wants to sell vapes, they're going to have to pay buy some kind of a licence, I assume it's going to be, and it's looking like it could be €2,000 a year. He confirmed yesterday that a new tax on vapes is also going to come in effect in the next budget. And if you remember, and he spoke about this yesterday, that he said last October, when he was doing the October uh, budget, uh, he announced at the time that he was minded to introduce some kind of a tax on electronic cigarettes. And he says, since then, work has been undertaken with his own department and obviously they have to work with the revenue uh, commissioners. Now he says they also have to ensure that a full policy alignment is also done with the Department of Health and what the Department of Health are doing. But he says he was of no doubt that there was a deliberate policy by vape companies to target young people. Now the vape companies themselves will say that they're not targeting young people but loads of people talk about the different flavours you can get and a lot of the flavours and the colours that these disposable vapes come in, you you would stop and think, is there somebody sitting in a marketing department saying, how can we make these more attractive to uh, young people? So the Finance Minister, Michael McGrath, was asked if a tax would seek to put them financially out of the reach of uh, people. And the minister said that they're consulting with the Department of Health because they do acknowledge that some people use e-cigarettes um, as a way of getting off cigarettes and that cigarettes are obviously far more damaging to uh, public health. But there are still many unknowns about the long-term effects of e-cigarettes generally. But a lot of people, and I'll have to put my hand up and say I am included, uh, I gave up cigarettes and the way I gave up cigarettes was by going over to e-cigarettes. Now, I I never got into using disposable vapes, but it's the e-cigarettes that you charge and and put the, the, the liquid into. But I would hand on heart say it was the reason that I gave up cigarettes was because e-cigarettes were available to me and there are a lot of other people. Now, one will say you go from one addiction to another addiction, but I think it's widely accepted that while there's still unknowns about the e-cigarettes, they certainly are far less damaging to public health than what cigarette smoking uh, is doing to people. So there's concern in, in government at the moment that every single corner shop is now selling these disposable vapes. See, see many record shops and I've read in the paper today that even some butchers 
shops have started selling them over the counter and I'm assuming there's a profit to be made in them and some of these smaller shops obviously struggling to make a profit and they're seeing well people are coming in looking for disposable vapes if I can make money out of them why not start selling them so the Department of Health now we know they've already banned the sale of e-cigarettes they're, they cannot be sold to anybody under the age, age of 18 very kind of same laws as apply you can't sell a pack of cigarettes to under 18 year olds you can't sell uh, an e-cigarette or a vape to an under 18 year old however senior government so Forces have pointed out that there were elements in the existing e-cigarette legislation that is yet to be enacted. Now, at present, a, a supermarket chain, you know, are a chain of, you know, your corner shops like your spa, your centra, your Tesco's, your... I don't know if Aldi and Lidl sell uh, cigarettes. I don't think they do. But Dunn's do, Tesco do. They can apply for one licence and that then will allow all of their shops to sell these vapes. So there's plans now to ensure that every shop will have to buy an individual licence if they want to sell e-cigarettes or disposable vapes. And it potentially could cost up to €2,000 a year to be able to sell the vapes. And I'm assuming that's going to put off a lot of the smaller corner shops who, while they might be making a profit off the back of the vapes, I don't know if they're making that much profit that they would be able to cover the cost of a licence for €2,000. There's also plans to stop shops such as Spar and Circle K from being able to advertise the vapes behind the tills with retail are going to be asked to treat them the same as they would cigarettes and you'd have to put them in behind a blank wall and certainly I've noticed that any garage or small shop that you go into now when you go up to the counter where the cigarettes used to be we know they're all behind uh, you know there's no, there's no advertising for the cigarettes uh, anymore no the cigarettes are, are in behind a closed cabinet almost but where the cigarettes once were it's now full of all of these electronic vapes and, and e-cigarettes. So that certainly has taken over. So they're kind of saying, look, we moved on that for cigarettes. We need to move on it now for the for vapes. The Department of Health is also considering plans to stop corner shops from being able to sell any of the flavoured vapes. And if they are allowed to sell vapes, they're saying the corner shops will only be allowed to sell the tobacco uh, flavoured ones. And of course, young people traditionally don't want the tobacco flavoured ones. They want all of the fruity flavoured and the ones that are blackjack and ones that are bubblegum flavoured, uh, for example. Uh, another potential option is to allow only the specialised vape shops. They would be the only shops that would be able to sell the flavoured ones. Now, Australia has banned completely the commercial sale of all vapes or um, uh, wholesale and the only way that you can get a vape in Australia you have to go to your doctor and you have to get a prescription and then you've got to go into your pharmacy and obviously you've got to prove that you want your vape because you want to give up cigarettes but that's the only way in Australia now you can get a disposable uh, vape. Now that particular model is uh, cons- is not being considered here in Ireland and that's because of our EU membership and the fact that these vapes and e-cigarettes are on sale in all other EU uh, countries. We couldn't be an outlier as the only country that only sells them under a GP prescription and a trip down to your uh, pharmacy. There's also a general reluctance to pursue what some say is a rather draconian policy in Ireland, even if it was legally feasible. So a, con- a consultation 
consultation on the matter closed last month with the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly set to bring proposals to the government and that's not going to happen until later this year. But I saw the uh, Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard is quoted in the Daily Mail today as saying that there needs to be an educational programme to highlight the dangers of e-cigarettes. He said research that has already been carried out by the Irish Heart Foundation tells us that teenagers who use a vape are three to five times more likely to start smoking compared to those who have never vaped before. And that, to me, is where the real worry is. You've got people who have smoked all of their lives and gave up by going over to vapes or going on to an e-cigarette. And those people will say, if you could have waved a magic wand, they wished that they had never started smoking. It would be a real shame if we've got the message already through to young people that smoking is bad for them and, you know, don't go anywhere near uh, cigarettes. It would be an awful shame if through going on these vapes and getting addicted because they're nicotine, they're still nicotine in these vapes and e-cigarettes. It would be a real shame if the trend that we're seeing with less young people smoking, it would be really sad if that trend got reversed and more people, more young people went on to cigarettes because they started out on vapes. But your thoughts are welcomed. do you agree that there should be some kind of a tax put on them? We know cigarettes are taxed to the hilt. We've no suggestions yet as to how much tax are going on it. And what about reducing where you can actually buy these vapes by introducing that licence of €2,000? I think it certainly will stymie some of the smaller independent stores uh, from selling them. Or should they only be sold on the in these specialised vape shops uh, only? And I have a leap year uh, baby who's celebrating a birthday today. Where's this gone? Lorcan? Walsh Lawler is celebrating his eighth birthday uh, today. So technically his second, isn't it? Yeah, his second, but he's eight years old today and his nana and granddad wanting to wish him all of uh, the the, the very best. So happy birthday to Lorcan Walsh uh, Lawler. Uh, hi, Patricia. Oh, this is on the reverse vending machines and the problems that some people are having with the reverse vending machines. I have to say, and I promised I would, I went back with my bottles yesterday because I'd gone the previous day to the Aldi store in Mallow and both machines were down not working so I had to bring the bottles back to the car but I was in Tesco in Mallow yesterday popped all my bottles in and they all went in I got my little receipt and I went in did a bit of shopping and I got my money back so a happy lady yesterday now Alan says that he went to Aldi and to Lidl yesterday to bring the bottles and cans back for the to the reverse vending machine they had a total of 40 bottles and cans all of which Alan says were purchased in the last two weeks so they paid the extra charge that was applied since the 1st of February they said we had seven bottles accepted but none of the cans when they went and asked the staff in both outlets what is the reason I was told they don't have the return logo on them my complaint to both shops was I was charged the extra money when purchasing the items surely this cannot be right just to confirm that these items were bought in both Aldi and Lidl uh, says Alan unless you have the receipts Alan to prove that you paid the deposit on it because I have been buying items uh, bottles not so much cans but certainly bottles of water and uh, fizzy drinks uh, etc and there is still a lot of old stock in all of the supermarkets. And if you check your receipt, you will see on the old stock, which doesn't have the return logo, you won't have been charged for, you won't have been charged the deposit. Now, we did hear that there were other outlets 
are other items that will not have the return logo on it and it's the barcode will pick it on, pick it up. But the only way for you to prove that you did pay and, you, you know, I have no reason to doubt that you didn't pay is you're going to need to track down some of the uh, receipts. What I would suggest you do for now on is when you buy any item that has the deposit on it, make sure that the return logo is on it and if the return logo isn't on it just, just give a quick glance across your receipt to see if you were charged because we're told it's going to be at least until the 1st of June before all of the old stock which didn't have doesn't have the return logo on it until they're all completely out of stock and then by the 1st of June every single bottle and can should have the return uh, logo. 0818 103 103 on RTE a couple of uh, texts in. Michael says Patricia during both sessions of questions and answers with Minister Catherine Martin, I have to say I felt she performed extremely well. She kept her cool composure at all times. Something that could be not said though about those asking the questions. You had a deputy asking questions and answering them himself while talking about hens and henhouse doors and foxes. But most really disturbing thing for me, what I saw was that some of her political colleagues was the arrogance of the highest order and the high-pitched voices in a threatening manner as if the minister was on a murder charge. There was no respect whatsoever shown towards the minister as a lady. Downright disgraceful says Michael. I wouldn't like any woman to be living with some of those so-called legislators if that's how they uh, carry on. Now I'm assuming that was that at a doll session because I watched the Oireachtas the media one the other night, the one that went on for over uh, three hours and she again she did put she kept her composure, she did put on she did put put up a great performance, but I certainly didn't see anybody shouting her down or, or speaking over her at that. So maybe it was in the doll, and then some will say, "Isn't that Michael the cut and thrust of the doll, the opposition, and whoever's in opposition will always be roaring across at the other other side." I can never understand why they do that, why they feel they have to be roaring and shouting and speaking over people because you get you get nothing out of it really. And then Liam says, "Patricia, did you see on the news last night that there was a meeting held in the yard outside RTE with the box on with?" the boss Kevin Backhurst with the loudspeaker do they not have a canteen that they could use says Liam well that wasn't a meeting that was a sort of a pro I I, I would call it a protest that was held by the RTE branch of the National Union of Journalists and they gathered outside and Kevin Backhurst happened to go along to listen to what was being said and obviously when the NUJ saw him there. They obviously invited him to speak and he did speak. So it wasn't an official meeting because when they do have official meetings, they absolutely do hold them uh, indoors. They wouldn't be expecting them all to stand outside at RTE. A report called Getting Nowhere. The Irish Wheelchair Association have stated that over three quarters of wheelchair users say they felt unsafe using public transport infrastructure such as bus stops or crossing cycle lanes. To discuss their report, I'm joined by Joan Carthy of the Irish Wheelchair Association. She is their National Advocacy Manager. Good morning to you, Joan. Good morning. Thank Uh, you very much for having me. Well, you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Is there a feeling that people with disabilities are almost being discouraged from using public transport when you look at your report? Yes, absolutely. Um, And I just want to make it very clear that this is not people with disabilities pitching against cyclists by any means. It's really, it's more than that. It's about actually keeping both sides safe um, when using um, the, the infrastructure. And what we mean by the infrastructure is 
as you said, it's the um, bus stops, it's cycle lanes, it's the intersection of both of these. It's um, cycle lanes being put along um, parking bays where people are trying to get out of their cars and there isn't enough um, space to open the door without somebody getting hurt. So it's all across the board um, is where the, the issues are. And then what, what? And then on the general use of using uh, public transport, are there any mandatory requirements for disability access to public transport? There's no. Um, there's no mandatory requirements um, at all, and a big part of the the problem is that everything that is being designed is being designed around. Um, what we would call guidelines um, and standards, but none of them are mandatory. And there's very little mention of disability access in any of the policies. And in our report, um, people will see that we went through uh, over 30 different policies and laws and legislation to see where disability was mentioned um, and did a really kind of deep dive into the analysis of that. And disability is mentioned very few times. Um, and then there isn't really any kind of audits that, that are done and there's no sanctions either if um, if something isn't put in place. God, it's hard to believe. Because, uh, Joan, access to, uh, to transport in, in particular is the difference between a person with a disability leading an independent life or not, isn't it? I mean, it's as black and white as that. It's very much so, absolutely. Um, transport comes across as being one of the biggest issues for people with disabilities not being able to take part in uh, in their community, in employment and education. It is a, a bigger issue um, the more rural the, the areas are. But it, it's, it's an issue right across the board, even in the, the big cities, and becoming more of an issue because of the designs of bus stops that aren't keeping anybody safe. It's not only people with disabilities, it's the cyclists themselves, it's um, older people. If you lose concentration at all at those bus stops, whether you're a parent with children, um, your phone rings, whatever it is, um, you could very easily walk out into a cycle lane. Wow. Wow. Um, And lack of, of transport, does it affect people with disabilities and their ability to work? Yes, hugely. Um, and it would be uh, reported that that is one of the, the biggest issues um, in relation to people um, taking up employment. Um, and again, it becomes a, a bigger thing when it's um, when people are in more rural areas, but right across the board. Um, if you can't use public um, transport and for a lot of people with disabilities, um, they're not able to drive. So they have to rely on public transport as being their their only option. And if that's not there either, they're completely isolated in their own homes. And this, Joan, to me, is an issue that every single one of us needs to be invested in because we never know when we are a family member will acquire a disability. Mm hmm. Yeah, and we would call out for everybody um, to get involved in this. And again, I would say, you know, people who are um, using the cycle lanes for them to come behind us because they need standards, mandatory standards um, in relation to the infrastructure that make sure that we're not sharing spaces so that they're not at risk and we're not at risk. Um, So it really is important. You're right in saying that we don't know. Um, if a family member um, will will have a disability at any stage and it will really impact them 
Um, and if people want more information, they can go to our website, which is um, iwa.ie forward slash getting nowhere and it'll bring them right into where all the resources are to get more yeah, involved. And, and we know we're always talking about the fact that we have an ageing population and it's great that, you know, we're living longer in this country. But with that comes the possibility that you may have mobility issues. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not only mobility issues, um, it's visual impairment um, it's people with a, an intellectual disability, but with an aging um, population, these are the things that we're we're coming across. We have more people who are wheelchair users, more people who have become uh, visually impaired, and some people who may have had a, a stroke or an acquired brain injury. Um, so yes, it does hit families um, somewhere along the way that uh, mobility might become an issue. And transport, it is covered, isn't it, under the UN Convention on the Rights of of persons with disabilities? It is, yeah, um, under Article 9. um, But again, in the report, we have, uh, we did a deep dive into it. And while it is there, so we have the right to access transport, it doesn't have the other three obligations that are there on the state. One is that they're mandatory standards so that they're legally binding. The second one is that it's negotiated by people with disabilities. So that's not about consulting people after the the design stage um, or the planning stage. That means it needs to be, you know, people with disabilities need to be involved from the very beginning. And the third piece then is sanctions and fines. So that when um, these designs and the legally binding standards are there, if they're not implemented well, then there's a uh, um, there's repercussions for that. Yeah, I think you've hit on a, on a good point there. I mean, when these decisions are being made, and you know, different regulations are being are being drafted up, people with disabilities need to be at the table and actively involved. But obviously, they're not at the moment. They're not, um, and a lot of the consultation becomes a tick box exercise, as we all know. Just if just because you're involved in consultation, it doesn't mean that your opinion um, will be taken um, on board. And it usually happens when all of these things are kind of much further down the, the planning stages. And it's very hard then you're kind of fighting a battle for things to be reversed um, and wasting a lot of time and resources from the person with a disability and the organisations that support them down to the, the planners themselves. It's a huge waste of resources. Whereas if you had people around the table at the very beginning, we wouldn't be in this position um, at this stage. And in 2024, I go back to um, we shouldn't really be having these or the need for these conversations and the need for such lobbying to have to happen to get change so that people can actually live an independent life. Yeah, because, yeah, and I mentioned that earlier and that this, that really, Joan, is what it is all about. It's trying to allow somebody with a disability to, to lead that independent life and to give them all of the tools that they need in order to do it. Yes, and it's the barriers that are out there that actually make people more disabled um, rather than their their actual physical disability. Um, most people are able to kind of manage their their disability in some way or another with with certain supports. Um, but when it comes to uh, trying to navigate, 
your your own environment and all the barriers there, it that's what makes you more disabled. Okay, so your message to cyclists this morning, uh, Joan, as you say, it isn't it isn't disabled people against cyclists, but it's to be mindful of somebody with a disability. Well, absolutely, but it's not even for them to be mindful, but it's more for them to come on board and really understand what our uh, campaign is about. And it is about keeping both sides safe. Yeah, it's an excellent report. What what do you do with a report like this? Are you bringing it to the Minister for Transport? Are you bringing it to the Department of Transport? Yeah, we had a launch on Tuesday in Leinster House where we had about 40 um, TDs and senators and some ministers. So um, uh, Minister Chambers was there. Um, uh, Minister Ryan wasn't able to make it, but some of his people were there. We will be following up with a very strong lobbying campaign. We will have a further um, launch in April, and that's really for people with disabilities so that they can see and understand uh, the report further, but also that they can get involved in the lobbying. Um, we will have a lot of resources that people can get involved in. Um, but the the push will be on. Um, we have asked the people that attended to really come behind us um, and make this happen. It's a legislative change. It's going to be um, it's going to be a long road. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, but we really need people who were there that said that they were supportive of it to actually action yeah. it now. OK, we wish you luck with it. And just before we let you go, a question in from a listener. So would you ask, would you ask your panellist, who's uh, Joan uh, Carthy, who's with the Irish Retail Association, she's the National Advocacy Manager, could you ask her, does she have any tips or suggestions on how we can stop people abusing the disabled parking bay? My mother is a wheelchair user and the amount of times we have to drive around waiting for somebody without a blue badge to get out of the parking bay. God, it's, it's such a frustrating uh, thing, isn't it, Joan? It, it certainly is. And um, our organisation, I know other organisations um, locally run a, a campaign uh, back in five. And what that is, is we would put um, wheelchairs in ordinary parking spaces with a sign saying back in five, because that's the excuse that people give um, when they're abusing it. Um, it's a problem that happens right across the board. And I would just really now I would appeal to anybody, any of your listeners who do actually abuse these spaces to really understand what that means when you park your car there for five minutes. It could mean somebody actually missing an appointment um, not being able to get into their post office um, and not being able to do whatever it was that they came out to do in the first place. I mean, they're they're few and far between those parking spaces um, and they're there for a very specific reason. So I would say please don't use them unless absolutely necessary. But again, it is about trying to get in touch with your local councillors um, and the guards to make sure that there's somebody out kind of policing them. Um, it is illegal to do it and yeah. people can be fined for parking in it. Um, we would love to see it actually becoming a part of a penalty point Um situation um, but at the moment there is a fine for us. 
But yeah. it is. It's an awful struggle. Yeah. And, you know, whatever. I mean, it's just I, I can't even imagine why people would even as you say, oh, I'm only going to be a few minutes. It's it's just it's it's not your parking space. Keep away from it. But I also saw a situation mm-hmm. a few years ago where somebody parked very close beside one of these blue bays. And this mother came out with her. Her son was in a wheelchair. Couldn't get him into the car because she couldn't open the door wide enough because some stupid person parked yeah. too tight beside her. So you've got to be aware of that as well. Yeah, and that's why they, well, generally, if the parking spaces are put in properly, there's extra hatching. And that, I mean, they're there for the space that the car door can open all the way so that a wheelchair can sit beside it while the individual is getting into the car. Um, so it's it's hugely important. I mean, we all know that when there's lines there, you're not supposed to park, no matter what the, the situation is. But yeah, I've seen two and three cars parking in you know, one or two disabled parking yeah. spaces where a car might pull in between the two um crazy um disabled cars um and they just people just don't think yeah. about what they're doing yeah. or don't care. Yeah, I you know, I, I like to think that people don't do it intentionally, but it's just to stop and think. And you know, as I said earlier, this these are issues that concern all of us because we never know when ourselves or a family member uh, will end up with uh, a disability. Listen, Joan, you do amazing work at the Irish Wheelchair Association. Continue good luck to you uh, with it and thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. That is uh, Joan Carthy, Irish Wheelchair Association National's National Advocacy Manager and their report is called Going Nowhere. Court today on C103. Now there have been calls in England to change their school calendar and in particular to cut their summer holidays from six weeks to four weeks as the belief is the school calendar is stuck in Victorian times when it was first introduced. So is it something we should consider here in Ireland. Jennifer Horgan is a secondary school teacher and Irish examiner columnist and she joins me with her views on this. Uh, Good morning to you, Jennifer. Morning, Patricia. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing very well. Now, the suggestion in England is shorter summer holidays, but longer half-term breaks, which they say would improve the lives of pupils and of teachers. Do you agree or disagree? I agree. I absolutely agree. I mean, England now only has six weeks, so we have double that. Um, so I don't think we're ever going to be reducing it to even six or four, you know, but I think we could shave off up to four weeks of our summer holidays at secondary school. And I would love to see those weeks happening earlier in the year in the winter months. Yeah, because with more, yeah. and, more and more parents are both working, do you think a lot of parents yeah. would be on board with this one? I think so. I mean, I think like I think primary school eight weeks is that's a reasonable length of time. And I think young people need it and they need a change of pace. Um, But yeah, so you've got obviously, yeah, you don't have a parent at home anymore. You also have, you know, the prevalence of, of technology screens. It's really tough. I have a teenager myself. 12 weeks is a very long stretch. And something that really bothers me as well is just the different types of summers that young people are having. So if you have the money to spend, you can send your child to the Gwaeltuk, you can you can send them on various sports courses and their education can continue throughout the summer. But if you don't have that money and you don't have that time and you're busy working a job, you know, that potentially that child, their education stops. They're not reading. They're not, you know, they're, they're not being stimulated. And so we're seeing that divide when the students come back in um, at the end of August, September. You can actually notice it in the classroom. 
Oh, I mean, it's it's well researched. There's data there, you know, that there is, we call it a summer slide. Um, and we see particularly students who are coming from other countries who speak a different language at home. You see the impact, you know, that they've spent that time obviously speaking their first language, but haven't had the same interaction, you know, with people speaking English, let's say. You see that impact them then when they're coming back into school. So it depends on the student, but absolutely the summer is, uh, you know, can be a very divisive time. Yeah. Now, any teenagers, well, they won't be listening, that hopefully I'll be in school. Uh, teenagers will say that they want their three months off. But what about teachers, yeah. Jennifer? Is this something, mm. I mean, is, is, is it a chat over the water cooler in the canteen? Oh, well, I, I mentioned to a few colleagues there that I was coming in to discuss this and they, they gave me an old, you know, <laughs> pretend kick in the shin because obviously it's not a popular opinion. Um, but they, they trialled the longer midterm in Suffolk already in England and staff absences fell by 50% and student absences fell by 25%. So I absolutely think having a two-week midterm in the winter months could do wonders. Um, and I think a lot of teachers will be on board with that because we are battling sickness. Obviously, we're in a school with a lot of people. So there's constant, you know, we've got colds going to flus. To, so yeah. there's a lot of absences during the winter month. And these, like the absences among students are getting worse and worse. Like it's not getting better. Um, we're still suffering from COVID and the impacts of COVID. So I think anything we can do to kind of rejig things and, and make it easier for everyone involved, both students and staff, to come into school um, when they need to be there. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, so if, if you took even two weeks out from that three-month break and what, you'd put a, exactly. an, an extra week onto the October midterm and there's a February midterm, isn't there? Yes. Um, for me, it's really the winter. It's the winter one that I, I would just love to see an extra week. Um the February one, it's, you know, it's the weather, like the February one, this week now we had off recently, it was, it was lovely, but it did feel like it wasn't as necessary, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. The, the time of year, like it's such a beautiful day today, it's, it's just for everyone, it's easier, um, particularly young people, like I think they find the morning so difficult, their bodies are not meant to be getting up that early, when you're a teenager, you're meant to be sleeping in, biologically, you know, so they do struggle, the darkness affects them, Um so, yeah, I think I think a longer winter break would be great. Um, mm. But look, it's not something that's, uh, you know, it's not popular. It's it's not something that looks like changing anytime soon. And we're certainly nowhere near where they are in, in England in terms of thinking about shortening to four weeks. I mean, no. Well, that would, that, <laughs> never yeah, that would never fly in Ireland, would it? Never no. fly. No, absolutely <laughs> not. And to be honest, I don't even think eight weeks would fly. I, I went on, I did a, uh, I was on the morning TV thing and they did a, you know, a check in with the audience at home. Like, what do you think? And it was definitely not voted for. The other side won by a, <laughs> by a big margin. So <laughs> it's probably a waste of time even discussing it. But I just think there's a lot, there are, there's a lot of evidence. There's, a, there's an awful lot of positives that we need to consider about just being a little bit more creative with the school year. Yeah, yeah. And of course, when you look at the, our model, our school calendar model, it was based on a very different uh, Ireland that three months off. I mean, it was initially Absolutely. put in because the farmers needed the young people to work on the farms. That's it. That's we've, it. We've, yeah. I mean, we've moved a long way from that. We certainly have. And I do think the technology thing is a big, that's a big one for me. My son is just, you know, he's 13 and it's, it's a constant. And I know like schools are not parents and they're not a babysitting service. I'm not saying that, but we do need to reflect on the reality that we're in now. Um, and 
you know, just cutting, potentially cutting a child off um, from friends and from activities and from stimulation um, for that length of time, you know, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a very long time, three okay. months. Okay, listen, thank you for your thoughts on it, Jennifer. Thanks, we'll Patricia. let you get back to the classroom, but thanks for joining us. Uh, <laughs> Take care. Good thank morning you. to you Bye. and all of the other teachers hissing at her saying, what's that one talking about on the radio? We want our three months off. Anyway, your thoughts uh, welcomed. Would you be with the English model that we need to shorten it? Now, as Jennifer says, I can never see the school year, the summer holidays going back to a month. I mean, it's easier for them to do it in England because what they're talking about doing is they have a six week summer holiday break. They're talking about reducing that to four and then they will take uh, the, the, the other two weeks that they normally would have in the summer. They'll stick the extra week on in the October break and an extra week on in the uh, February break. But our art school holidays, particularly the summer ones, are they simply too long? And thank you to a listener who sent me in a clip from this week's Irish Catholic from Father Michael Delaney's page of the Irish Catholic and says, Patricia, you might want to share this with your listeners. It gave me a giggle this morning when I read it out to some of my elderly clients. So I'm assuming it's somebody working in healthcare. So it's uh, called Food for the Hungry from the, this week's Irish, uh, Irish Catholic. And it says, an old nun who was living in a convent next to a construction site noticed the coarse language of the workers and decided to spend some time with them to correct their ways. She decided she'd take her lunch and sit with the workers and talk with them. She put her sandwich into a little brown bag and walked over to the spot where the men were eating their lunch. Sporting a big smile, she walked up to the group and said, "Uh, and do you men know Jesus Christ? They shook their heads and looked at each other very confused indeed. One of the workers then looked up into the steelworks and yelled out, anyone up there know Jesus Christ? One of the steelworkers yelled down, why? And the worker yelled back up, because his mother's here with his lunch. That <laughs> gave me a giggle as well. Thank you. I just don't name on that uh, text that came in from that uh, listener. OK, back to some of your thoughts that have come into uh, the programme. OK, on school holidays. And this is a proposal. Now, it isn't a proposal here in Ireland. It's a proposal that at the moment is being very seriously looked at in the UK to shorten their school holidays, in particular, to shorten their summer holidays. Now, in England, they only get six weeks summer holidays, but they want to shorten it to four and then put the other weeks, give the other, they're not taking any time off from the pupils or from the teachers. They would instead move the time out to different holidays, to different midterms during the year. A texter. Being a mother of a, in inverted commas, dedicated teacher, who spends four out of five evenings till around 9pm correcting and either all Saturday or all Sunday correcting homework and the stress carried out due to this dedication. Obviously, this mum feels her teacher child needs the time off. Obviously Jennifer needs to have her child out of her way for a longer period so she can cope with her nine to five and I think that's a little bit unfair because if you listened to Jennifer she was saying the reason she thinks shortened the summer holiday only by a couple of weeks and she was saying you're not going to take any time away from teaching in the class from the stress the teachers are under are from the pupils but she feels if you gave them if you gave them extra time off in the winter months the winter months is when children come down with coughs and colds and viruses and uh, flus and they've already proven by a study 
in the UK in one area where they have lessened the summer holidays and given more time off in the winter holidays and there's less school absences because of it. So I, I think you're wrong in saying that she only works she only works 95. She herself admits it's uh, it, that it would be done for both with teachers and pupils but she's very much coming out at this with pupils in mind. Carmelie McCroom says I feel the summer school holidays are way too long in this country. Carmel, if Carmel had her way she would give six weeks to primary schools and eight weeks for secondary schools. Also she says the reason she'd give eight weeks for secondary school, some secondary school students do take up a part-time job during the summer months. If there was a big pushback to this stagger the holidays and give them extra time off in January and February and that's at the very point that Jennifer was making. Joan Imichistan says she agrees with Jennifer. I would rather see more holidays in the winter because it's very tough on winter mornings to try to get everybody out of the house than it is during the summer months. And Richard in Douglas says teachers sign a contract to work so many months of the year so this plan simply wouldn't work. Yeah, listen, the only way it would work is you would have to have everybody on board, which would include all the teachers unions. And I think that would be one of the reasons that any time in the past that it's been spoken about, the teachers unions have all absolutely bucked. Because I'm, I'm in no way saying that somebody decides to be a teacher for the long, long summer holidays, but people take on teaching jobs knowing that they're going to have long summer holidays and two weeks at Christmas and two weeks at Easter and then a week in February and a week in October. So obviously their contract would uh, change. 0818103103 on uh, cigarettes and uh, vaping and e-cigarettes and all that. Hi Patricia. I gave up cigarettes three years ago and I did it by going on e-cigarettes. My problem now, says Michael, is I'm addicted to the e-cigarette and I'm puffing all the time and I'm feeling sick at times. I would agree that they should ban them all like they've done in Australia, says Michael in uh, Killarney. Yeah, you need to reduce your e-cigarettes, particularly if it's making you feel unwell. Uh, Michael, I would be trying to, you, what you now need to do is try to come off the e-cigarettes and I know you use them to get off the cigarettes and I don't know how much easier it is to get off the e-cigarettes than it is from, from the cigarettes because they're, it's both nicotine. Uh, maybe you could lessen down the nicotine and maybe come off it that way. 0818 103 Parking bays. When I was talking with the Irish uh, Wheelchair Association, Ellen in Ballancolic says all of the new car parks she's noticed around Bishopstown and Ballancolic, they all have these new parent and child parking spaces and they are the ones that are closest to the supermarket or shopping centre doors. But the wheelchair parking ones now have been moved further away as priority seems to be given to the parent and child uh, parking. Uh, She also feels there's more parent and child parking spaces than there are wheelchair bays. She says, I feel there is a cohort of people out there who do not need wheelchair spaces but do need to park closer to the door of a shopping centre and there should be spaces allocated for these people as well. Yeah, I'm assuming what you're talking about there are people with hidden disabilities and you'll often see that sign up on disabled toilet doors that not all disabilities are, are are seeing that there can be people with hidden disabilities. So yeah, I absolutely accept what you're saying, uh, Ellen. Thank you for that. And says Patricia, Middleton Council took away one of the three disabled parking spaces on the main street in Middleton. And the reason they did it was, was to put a bicycle parking bay there instead. According to Anne, she has never, ever seen a bike parked in that space. That's 
Yeah, and I know there's a big push, particularly with the Greens in government, to get more people on their bikes and therefore, you know, they're building more cycle lanes, which obviously... The Irish Wheelchair Association says it's causing problems uh, for wheelchair users, the cycle lanes. But anyway, um, I'm really surprised to think that they take away a disabled bay for a bike parking bay with more people cycling. And that's what they're trying to get people to do. They have to allocate spaces for parking your bicycles but please don't do it and take away a disabled parking space I haven't heard of that before I don't know has that happened in many other areas but according to Anne she's never once seen a bicycle parked there 0818103103 Brian called us from Carrigaline he said I do think people are getting better at not parking in disabled bays but he says there's still an amount of people who are parking irresponsibly he says you'll see see people constantly double parking. You'll see people just almost abandoning their cars. He's seen people parking on cycle lanes, double parking on yellow lines, but at a point where no car can actually pass. So, yes, we have an issue around drivers and parking uh, cars everywhere. And that's something that needs to be addressed and needs to be discussed responsible parking. Una Imalo says the age friendly, you know, these yellow boxes that have popped up in various towns across the county. Una says they are a terrific idea. They were introduced in Mallowtown a number of years ago uh, and indeed across the county. But Una reckons they should also be introduced in shopping centres. They need to have more of these spaces. She also says the ones that are in Mallowtown, the yellow has started to fade on the age-friendly spaces. Now, Una falls into the category where she's not a wheelchair user. She doesn't have bad mobility issues that would warrant her getting one of the blue badges to be able to park in a wheelchair uh, space. But she says she does have mobility issues in that she can't walk very long distances. So she would rather have the option where she would be able to park near a shop door. Yeah, and almost falls in under that category I was talking about of people with hidden disabilities. But there will be and there are people who can't walk very long periods and who are trying to make, maintain an independent life as possible. And it's, it's one of the issues that I kept going back to when I was speaking with the Irish Wheelchair Association. And I know we were talking to people who were confined to uh, wheelchairs, but anyone who develops and any one of us can develop any kind of a disability as we go through life. We need to make sure that we make life as accessible as possible for people and allow people to live as independent a life you know, as they can. And if that requires putting in some extra parking spaces, be they those age-friendly ones, then surely the powers that be need to start looking at it. 0818 103 103. Jump all taking your calls. C103 Jobs. Now, the South Munster MABS service, they've got a vacancy for a money advisor. It's to cover maternity leave at their Dunmanway office. Full job description and application form is available at mabs.ie. Part-time cleaner is wanted to work 15 to 25 hours per week. It's in the Canturk and surrounding areas. Now, own transport and a full driving licence is necessary. You need to email uh, info to... S-H-A-I-G-E dot cleaning services dot com. Security staff are wanted for day and night shifts. That's in the Yall area. CVs please to jobs at provincial dot I-E. And a childcare assistant is wanted with the minimum fee tech level five. It's wanted for Cora. 
send cover letter and CV to bbcora at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and we have a huge amount of other job vacancies available online now. Simply go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Well known Mallow native Finbar Sheehan, who is responsible for the bingo nights at the local GAA Club, is unfortunately a patient at the moment at the Cork University Hospital. This was following a recent stroke. Now, Finbar has decided to go public and share his experience of life on the high dependency ward at Cork University Hospital and it's all to do with lack of staff and overworked staff. Good morning to you, Finbar. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very and well. Thanks, and and I, thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's, it's our pleasure. I suppose, firstly, because I know uh, you're such a well-known man in Mallow. Lots of people will be delighted to hear uh, to hear you on the programme this morning. Firstly, tell me, how are you doing And um, since the stroke? Well, Patricia, I'm doing a lot better. I, I'm getting, my, legs, my leg is getting stronger, but my hand is completely dead. I have no movement at all in my hand. It's... My fingers, I can't move my fingers. Um, it's not hard to work, like I've been shot in my arm. Um, it's absolutely, it was no movement whatsoever. So it's a typical stroke in that it's it, it's the left-hand side, is this, that oh, has been affected? What, what happened is, I got a stroke on the right side of my brain. Okay. And it, it, it paralyzed me down my left side. So you're saying that the your the the leg is coming back a little bit? Yes. Is there, my arm my arm will take a long time, they reckon. But is is there a possibility it will come back? Well they can't guarantee me. Okay. It will come back. But um yeah, awful, you know. Okay, so obviously to have a paralysis anywhere in your body, but particularly affecting that much of your body and your arm in particular Yes. Talk to me about how much help you require with the day-to-day things like eating, showering, going to the toilet, etc. Patricia, I need 24-hour care. 24-hour care when, when, when I require it. What happens is, um, the ice Crohn's disease, I never done a waiting list to be seen in 12th March in the Mercy Hospital with a bowel surgeon because I need surgery, pressure surgery on my bowel. So I suffer from Crohn's disease, and when 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 I eat after about ten minutes, I I need to go. I need to use the toilet, and somebody has to take me to the toilet here inside in the in the CUH. But actually, there, from the lack of staff, I can't guarantee that I'll be taken to the toilet. And what was happening? What they were asking me was, would I wear nappies? What I wear now is due to the lack of care staff in the hospital. Now, my point, Patricia, is I don't want to be putting nappies on me. I'm a 49 year old man. I, I don't want my dignity taken away from me. And, and, yeah. and why should you? Why should you? And, yeah. and literally, uh, they're aware, obviously, that you have uh, Crohn's, yeah. and anyone yeah. with Crohn's knows it, when I'm you need Saturday. to go to the toilet, you need to go to the toilet. It's just on Saturday when they were made aware of it, that I was a Crohn's patient and that I was I was on a waiting list for surgery. And, and I was to be seen at the 12th of March. 
when when all the details were given and um, when I was admitted to the COH. So you press the call bell to say yeah. I need to go to the toilet and yeah. are, are you just left with nobody answering the call bell? Yes, you are left. You are left lying in the bed and first Patricia, you, you a care staff member could be on the ward and you could say I need to go to the toilet and you're left in five to ten minutes. This is the attitude you, that you get. I'll be back in ten minutes. I'm back in five minutes. And, and because of that, you've you've unfortunately had accidents. Yes, and well, Patricia, one accident was negligence, and the second accident was because I was ignored. And when you, uh, when, and okay, uh, I'm trying to come in defence of the the care staff. Are they just simply overworked, Fimber? I, I, it's in, no, it's, it's not. It's lack of help, Patricia. Inadequate funding of the high dependency units, Patricia. I've had emails and phone calls telling me because I've been public that it's going on in this hospital for three and four years. I've got email, I've got text messages on Messenger from a young girl. She told me her granddad suffered the same fate. She asked me. The warning question. He said, "You don't have to name us. Is this the number of the wall that, that it happened to you in?" She said, "The same thing happened to my granddad four years ago." So it's gone on since four years. So a high dependency ward has what eight beds? Eight beds, them yeah. all full. All, full, all yeah. full. So, what's the ratio of staff to patients? Okay, how many uh, uh, today? How many nurses are on? Patricia. And at the daytime, there's, there's three nurses on and three care staff, right? Yeah. There's no issue during the day, but at night, then you have one nurse nursing 11 high dependency patients, and you have one care attendant on with her. Honest to God, Patricia, I... I so can't. it goes It goes from six staff during the day down yes. down to two at night? At night time. And, and at night time is more, more important when you need to go to the toilet or when you need assistance. Patricia, there was a man alongside me. He was over in the corner. He was heaving. I thought he was going to get a hat to in front of me looking for his nebulizer. I, I swear to God, I thought he was going to get a hat 20 minutes he was looking for his nebulizer. But the nurse, the nurse, the nurse that was on her own, she's only a 23 year old girl, Patricia, and like the pressure that girl was under, what could she do, you know? Yeah, and you wonder, Finbar, why some of our nurses go abroad to work and, and they all talk about the reason they go abroad is their work-life balance yeah. and their so, working uh, yeah. situation is very different it's in other countries. I don't know if you remember me. I was on about it a couple of months ago that we're exporting our best nurses. Yeah, yeah, and I do. And people were slating them on the, on, on the radio that, that they're doing their training and they're, they're leaving the country after being trained there. Patricia, that girl, I call her Rose of One Kind. She's from Kilkenny. Okay. She is an excellent girl, a beautiful girl. I don't, I've no issue with the nurses. It's just there's not enough of them. There's not enough of them. Yeah, yeah. For a 23-year-old girl to be put under that pressure. She told me, Patricia, 
when she finished her studies, she came away to go to Australia. Yeah, and you can and you could understand. Yeah, you, if, if you were of? if you were that girl's mother or father, you'd be saying off you go and 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 have it have a decent life. But yeah. I'm also a conscious, Vimber, for you to make a full recovery, you need to try and stay as stress free as you can. Whereas this has been a very stressful situation for you. It has, because I've been promised physiotherapy and physiotherapists come in and they say, be back in 10 minutes. I was put sitting on a chair one day in the middle of the floor, right? Mm. And the physio never turned to me. I I said to him, I said, I said, you know, where do you go? And I I was a blackguarding, you know. I I, I know I was being a bit smart with the name I put on him. But he came in there the following day because when I was telling him that he didn't see me, which he didn't see me, Patricia. Yeah, and your your your, your point, me. and and I've seen some of your postings online. Your po- your point is you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code program. Want to get stuck into the physiotherapy. You, you know, you're a get up and go guy. Anyone that knows Finbar knows you. That you, you just want to get better as quickly as possible. Patricia, look, I had my stroke the 17th of February. All last week, I took 10 steps. 10 steps. And I know you know from working in the Gilbert Centre in Mallow. What is very important is movement after stroke rehab. You have to be rehab properly. Mm. I, 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 I wasn't being rehab properly. But since I went public, Patricia, I've been assigned a new physiotherapist. 
I've had chair plan in place. Right. My physio times are 11 o'clock and my OT appointment and my occupational term is 2 o'clock. So, so I've been offered showers. I was only showered once since I had my stroke last Saturday. One day I had a shower. The smell of sweat off me inside the bed. Patricia. And now I've been offered, I met the nursing manager, I'm getting three showers a week. Which is what you should be getting, Fimber. But it's, I, but it's I, shameful I, that you have to go public and, and, yes. it's, and it's he who shouts the loudest. Not everyone would have the capabilities that you have, Fimber, yes. to get across your point. You know, very older, I mean, you're, you're only a middle-aged man, but older uh, people yes. won't be able to speak up for themselves. And, no. and, they, and, that, and, that's, and, and that's what really pains me about this story. And I think, you know, fair dues to you for, going, for, for talking about it. And as you say, because of that, you're hearing from, from um, uh, others. So, and obviously, if you can get mobile, get more mobility, you then will be able to go to the toilet yourself. So you'll yes. be saving them. They won't need to be sending someone to you. Exactly. It's just that. Exactly. Okay. But you're on the road. Do you feel now you're on the road to recovery, Fimber? I just feel uneasy here, Patricia, because I, I have to speak over, over my care. How long do you expect to be there for? Um, I've been told I'll be seven weeks inside here. Okay. No, okay. I've been assigned a new brain doctor and everything. Great. And uh, Patricia, but what's maddening me is I had to speak out. I had to go public because I felt I was being ignored. To be asked, be, to be asked to put weird methods because of a lack of funding. I I said in my in, in my in my post, right? Mihal Nelson is the minister. He's the minister. I can't He's the, he's in court. Behind McGrath is the Minister of Public Expenditure. For this to be run in the Cork Main Hospital is an absolute disgrace. And um, I tell you, Patricia, the amount of stories people have rang me and texted me with, it would put the hair standing in your head. It's going on here for years. There's a systematic problem in this hospital. And this is our main Cork Hospital. Yeah. It's not going to be real. I told them, I got so stressed today. I, I, I told them, I said, if I'm not going to be rehabbed properly, send me somewhere else that will take me. Okay, well, they've listened to you for sure and you do seem to be on the road to recovery. And just on a lighter note before I let you go, uh, you got a bit of a lift last weekend in your beloved Liverpool had a good old win over Chelsea. Yes, I did. I'm still beleguarding my Chelsea buddy. I- Alan, Alan, Alan Edwards. <laughs> but they keep me going. That keeps me going. Yeah, it does. Listen, you, you, you're a great positive guy and stay positive. That's what, that's what you need I to do. My, my, I miss my bingo. I know. You, listen, night. you'll be back. The weeks will fly by. Keep Patricia, focused on your calling, recovery. I would have been calling 24 years on the 8th of March. And I've been, I've been calling bingo in Caragone 11 years. Eleven years I've been on the big and I've missed ten nights. And last Saturday, last Friday night I was I, I I cried because I was missing the bingo. Friday night was my night. I love calling bingo Malajia. Well your Friday nights I've will come very, back, I guarantee you that. Kind, they've been very kind to me. They've been ringing me and encouraging me to to come back and 
come back stronger. And you will. Yeah. We'll keep in contact with you, Finn Barber, just to know that uh, we're sending you all our best wishes. And thank we and, and thanks a million for taking time out to talk but to us. Thank you again for giving me a voice. Uh, our pleasure. I, God bless. And I will fight for people to get the proper care they need in this hospital. Okay. Mind I yourself. Might, I might, as I said in my post, I might have had a stroke, but it hasn't stopped my voice. Good on you. Okay, Finbar, right. God Thank bless. You, Take care. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Thank you. That Thank is, you. That is uh, Finbar Sheen, as I say, in Mallow people, well-known uh, Mallow man because of his connection. Uh, with the GAA uh, bingo but quite upsetting to hear what he's had to go through as a patient at CUH we wish him nothing but love and luck on his journey of recovery Okay that was the chat that I had with uh, poor Finbar uh, yesterday it's just so heartbreaking uh, to hear of somebody on a high dependency uh, unit you know reaching for the call bell, need to go to the toilet and particularly the fact that Finbar suffers with Crohn's disease. Anybody listening who suffers with Crohn's disease or has a family member with Crohn's disease will know that if you have Crohn's disease and you need to go to the toilet, you need to go to the toilet. You can't be told that you have to wait. And as he says, it doesn't seem to be an issue during the day, but it's certainly at night there doesn't seem to be enough staff on. And it's the fact that it is a high dependency ward. You, th- you would think a ward like that would be flooded with extra workers to make sure all of the people that are in there are being uh, looked after so um, as I say we just wish Finbar all of the best and you know a lot of people are saying fair dues to Finbar for speaking out because like, Finbar you know and to have a stroke is, is is devastating at any age but he's only 49 like he's not a very elderly man but it's great that he has the ability to talk out I think and it's one of the reasons as I, as I touched on in the interview he wants to do it on behalf of people who maybe not, are not strong enough to be able to uh, speak out uh, John says I have great pity for at Finbar and yet we have our Taoiseach saying that we live in a wealthy country. But then Paul from Mallow was on and he doesn't agree with Finbar regarding the service at Cork University Hospital. His sister was in CUH for five weeks recently and, and Paul says his sister couldn't praise the staff enough. She said the food was brilliant. It was as good as any hotel. She picked what she wanted from the menu. She wanted something outside of that. They went out of their way to get it for her. He, she said staff were brilliant while they were there. Now, I don't know what reason that your sister was in for Paul, Paul but five weeks is certainly a long time to be in hospital and I don't know if she was in a high dependency ward. I think from Finbar's point of view is the fact that it is a high dependency ward and he needs help and others in that ward require help and there just isn't enough staff on at night when a call bell is uh, pressed. You know, he had three accidents three times he soiled the bed and on one occasion it was it was on more than one occasion it's been said to him would you not could we not put a nappy on you so that you won't be soiling the bed you know and now he's a 49 year old man nobody wants to go down that uh, route he has to have his dignity as well and particularly when it's just help he needs to get to the toilet there's no other reason why he's soiling himself so he, he fought quite hard not to have nappies put on him at night and we are going to Bandon Garda station where I'm joined by a guard that Sergeant Michael uh, Golden uh, for this week's uh, Garda File. I nearly demoted you there, Michael. Uh, good morning to you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> You're welcome to the programme. Now, we are looking More for uh, firstly appeals for information on crimes, starting with a burglary at a service station, and this happened in McCroom. That's correct, Patricia. Um, during the early hours of last Friday morning, the 23rd of February, a burglary took place at a service station on the Mill Street Road in McCroom. During the course of the burglary, some cash was taken. If anybody observed any suspicious activity on the night of the 22nd of February into the early morning of the 23rd of February on the Mill Street Road area of McCroom, or if any information that might benefit the Gardaí, 
I would ask them to contact the Guardian McCroom who are best getting incident. Okay, and there was another burglary this time in Dunmanway. That's correct, Patricia. Look, it's a longer period now. Um, a burglary occurred between January and February at an unoccupied business, business premises on the Bridge Street in Dunmanway Town. So Guardian, Dunmanway are appealing for any witnesses that made notice any unusual activity in the area. It's a busy road there. Um, and if they have any information to contact Dunmanway or Clannacilty Guardian and any information to assist their investigation. And uh, look, in response to the above, um, uh, we'll say burglaries there, so have a bit of advice there for business owners. Okay. I just, I'd like to encourage all owners of retail premises to constantly review their security measures. Um, main entrance should, should be secured with controlled entrance systems, electronic gates and coded access. Windows um, should have secure locks. Windows and ground level access points may need additional security like steel bars, etc. Um, ensure alarms are in working order and are serviced regularly. And just to engage with management staff um, and security companies in this regard. And if they need any assistance, then they can contact the local guard station or crime prevention officer for advice. But I, I suppose what all businesses need to do, probably on a mm. yearly basis, is review their security and take a look at what might be some of the weaker points. Yeah, learnings. Yeah, just learn from their from previous experiences, I suppose, and try and better it and just get advice from ourselves as well. Yeah. Okay, I don't think there's a week goes by on our Garda file that we don't report some theft from uh, vehicles and, and we, have, we have more this week. It's in the West Cork area, Bandon and in Shannon. Unfortunately, yeah, look, I know Garda Masters covered it two weeks ago there about um, cars being broken into in, in Mallow. But just like to highlight a couple of um, instances we have here as well. Um, in the early hours of 17th of February, several car- vehicles were entered into in the Chapel Street area of Bandon. Um, they're all unlocked. Um, and additionally, I suppose, on the 27th of February, an unlocked vehicle with car keys left inside was oh. stolen in the, in the Shannon. Um, so the car keys were actually in the car and the car was actually stolen afterwards. Um, so look, um, car left unlocked there. And I suppose that would have implications for your insurance as well afterwards. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, it does. Be mindful of that. Yeah, because I know on cold mornings, yeah. uh, we've often on our insurance slot uh, warned people about, you know, people will go out to de-ice their cars and let the, let the motor uh, running. And if your car gets stolen and all you need is an opportunistic theft to spot that that car is open and running and they drive off in the car, yeah. you're, not, you're not covered on your insurance. No, you're under pressure there insurance-wise. And even this morning there, just a Belgooley, with two instances where cars been taken, and again, um, a car key was left in the car unlocked, and and the other one then was um, actually it was a burglary, but the the front door was left open and the keys were visible then, and they were taken and the car was taken. So yeah. that was only this morning, and the early hours this morning that happened. So just appeal to anyone in Belgooley as well, if any information there to contact Ben the Garda station, there were any information. And Michael, they are opportunistic, aren't they? It's not that somebody's watching your house; they're, they are in the main opportunistic. They're looking for the easy target, like they're just yeah. looking for the easy way of doing it. They're not, you know, they're they're not smashing the windows or, you know, making it hard for themselves or um, bringing attention to themselves. They're just looking for the easy target. They're checking doors of cars. They're looking in to see if anything in there that's valuable. They're obviously they're obviously checking house doors as well to see if they're locked or unlocked. So look, obviously have your alarm on as well there and lock your doors. Because mm. even if your door's unlocked and the alarm is on, the alarm will go off. So you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Mindful of everything. Yeah, yeah, it'll draw draw attention to it. But like it's it's the thing with cars today. It's so easy to mm. lock a car now. I mean, we're we're gone long from the day where you had to put the key in and turn the lock. You press a button yeah. now to lock your car. I agree. I suppose, look, people are busy these days. I suppose both parents uh, working and young kids and all that. Your mind could be a bit muddled or, you know. Yeah. 
at odds as well sometimes you know so it's hard to blame everyone like but i suppose we just need to be more conscious of it going forward like you know and just um and look there's plenty of incidents out there of that happening so we just need to safeguard ourselves there going forward yeah, yeah and you know hopefully we're getting a bit of a stretch in the evening now and hopefully the weather is going to start to improve so we'll more and yeah. more people will be out and about you need to be extremely yeah. careful about not leaving any items of value inside in your car yeah, I, I know we'll be back to that well, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll be back to that yeah. I guarantee in the summer months uh, mm, cars being broken 100%. into so just be, be mindful um, of that now you want to give advice uh, Michael to parents and young children but I suppose more to the parents because the young children will be at school about the dangers of, of cyber bullying there's a lot of this unfortunately going on there is yeah, and there's no age real group, but I suppose we're just dealing with young people. Like, um, look, I suppose um, this month earlier this month there we had International Internet Safety Day, and as part of our Garda Schools program, we call on to primary schools and give talks, uh, internet safety talks. It's called a Be Kind Online Talk. Um, I'm, I did it myself there earlier on this month, but I suppose I was just thinking about there, there'll be no harm in just letting the parents know of the dangers of cyberbullying and how they can help and assist their their children at home, parents and guardians. So look, I suppose cyberbullying basically is the use of technology to harass, threaten, embarrass or target another person. That's basically what it is. And just for a few tips there, um, I think parents should just educate themselves and become more familiar with the sites and apps that their children are on, that they're using, um, I suppose. And then look, another very important one there is um, whatever goes up online stays online. So whatever your child puts up online and posts, it stays up there forever. Even if it's deleted, it can be retrieved again. So that, that message needs to get out there. Um, and I suppose, look, and encourage your child to tell you as well if they're under pressure, if they receive messages that make them feel uncomfortable or they're being, they're being bullied online, make sure that they tell you as a trusted person, you know. And also a very important thing there is that they can implement parental controls on all devices, iOS and Android devices. So if they go into settings and they go into parental controls, they can create a pin and you can limit the child's um, screen time and you can block inappropriate content as well and restrict their access. That's important as well, just to be on top of it. Uh, and rather than ignoring it, just be on it and just and be, a, be a support mechanism to, to the child at home, you know. Yeah, I think a lot of this is, is keeping those lines of communication. And I know with teenagers, we all went through our own teenage years. The last thing you want to do is to be talking to mommy and daddy about stuff. But parents yeah. need to keep that line of communication going so that if, God forbid, your child is a victim of cyberbullying, that they'll open up about it because it's it's such a hidden problem, isn't it? It's a massive hidden problem. I suppose, look, before years ago, 30 years ago, you go to school and you might have a problem in school, but you come home and you're safeguarded. But now, I suppose with phones and technology and even online gaming as well, um, there's access, to, the children have access to other people online. Um, and you just want, you, you want to restrict them for people that they don't know online, number one, and just have their friends and family um, as contact points as well, you know what I mean? So that, that they're not vulnerable. Yeah, um, I, I know and, all and, the and support all, mechanism. Yeah, all the parental uh, experts. And anytime we do uh, interviews about cyberbullying, you know, the advice is always to restrict children's access uh, to their phones at night in the bedroom on their own, because you know you're in bed yeah. and you think everything's fine, and you don't know what's happening in your child's bedroom. Set rules and regulations, and you know, and children like rules and regulations as well. So just have rules in the house about online activity and phones. Yeah. Um. And I suppose, and another thing, just finally, I suppose, just I suppose, when if you if a child is being cyberbullied, or even an adult, just don't reply to the message. Yeah. Um. Keep the, keep the message. Just block the sender and report the problem. Report it to the actual 
social media site that you're on, and if needs be to engage your corner, then for to help. But don't don't engage, uh, don't engage with the person. No. That um, that no. that be kind online. Was that in primary or secondary schools you went into? Primary school. Primary school. And, yeah, and primary did any school. of the children open up about what they've? seen online yeah they're very open they, they are very open like it, uh, yes, different schools have different I suppose uh, the amount of kids that have, that have phones every school differs yeah. so if you're asking the class how many of you have phones or how many have access but yeah they are very open to it and they're very knowledgeable they're more knowledgeable than what we are <laughs> uh, but they are open to it and they do tell you I suppose even uh, online gaming as well that's a big thing at the moment yeah. and exclusion as well that's another part of bullying excluding people you know excluding other kids and that's another form of bullying so yeah. yeah, a WhatsApp group where one child in the class is left out of it is, can be yeah. heartbreaking, heartbreaking yeah. for the child. Um, and yeah. did many of the children say that they had they owned their own phones? Yeah, it varied again. Did it? Um, kind of like it could be half the class, maybe fifth class, maybe or sixth class. Most of them are kind of sixth class going into first year. Yeah, would be yeah. the would be the time they're getting phones, but yeah, it yeah. kind of varies. You know, it depends yeah. school school to school, and yeah. then of course the pressure comes on the parents when everybody else in the classroom yeah. has one. That's why they've been trying pressure, for ages yeah. to have that thing of back completely banning. And I know some schools have very successfully done it around the country, where you mm. don't buy your child a smartphone until they're going into yeah. they've left primary school and they're going into second year year, which yeah. I think is is plenty is plenty of time. Okay, I and before that, yeah. and before we let you go today is National Slowdown. Day. I've already uh, spotted that the press officer in Garda Shia Corner, they detected a motorist doing 142 kilometres in, in a 100 kilometre zone. That was in uh, Wicklow. That was in uh, the first hour of National Slowdown Day. So you're out and about yeah. today, um, Michael. Out and about from seven, to 7 this morning. Yeah, that's when it started. Um, look, I just, I, I hit you with a few things here now. Um, 184 people died in our roads last year, unfortunately. Um, and as of today, 37 people have died in our roads. That's five up on last year. Um, and look, from statistic-wise, look, it's estimated that 30% of all fatal collisions are a direct result of speeding or inappropriate speed. So look, I just I just tell your listeners there to reduce your speed and drive to within the limits of the, of the I suppose, the, what's it called, the... Um, the speed road, limit. Yeah, the speed limit. And and yeah. you don't and that's 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 not even that's a target. You don't have to reach that target. If the no, conditions are bad, go exactly. slower. Yeah. Go slower. Yeah, and look, we're all responsible for our own actions on the road. Yeah. And just to drive responsible to drive responsibly, I suppose. And I'd appeal to every driver just to slow down, obey the speed limits and, and be aware of your surroundings. Yeah, too many lives are being absolutely uh, yeah. destroyed and then I know and I'm very conscious of that of members of Angardashi Corner, you've got that dreadful job of calling to somebody's house to impart that bad yeah. news. Absolutely. Nobody yeah, wants to do worse. that. Okay, listen, no. Michael, thank you for that. Have a good week and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Uh, thank good you. morning to you. That is Sergeant Michael Golden and Michael is based at Bandon Garda Station. It's time to give away more free money. Free money. Snap the app only on C103. Give me well, we don't have to wait any longer. I'm trying to get a qualifier today for our Snap the App. Let's go to the phone lines. We're going to Waterfall, where Adam Davis joins me. Good afternoon, Adam. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. How are you today? Good, good, good. What are you up to in Waterfall? Uh, just on an afternoon off to today, so just doing some uh, housework. Oh, are you very good? Good to hear the men doing the housework. Men are as oh, good as doing housework as women. Oh, sometimes better as well, Patricia. <laughs> ah, okay. We won't <laughs> we won't get into that argument, will we, Adam no, Dearest? No, no, okay, no, no. you entered our snap the app and I can do this. 
You are our qualifier for today, uh, Adam. And I tell you, our, the luck must be in on this show because for the last two days, uh, I sent forward our qualifiers' names. It was Eileen O'Donovan yesterday from Dramina and Kerry Ahern from Crossbarry on Tuesday. And both of them, their name came out of the hat. So fingers crossed, we'll go for three oh, in a row today. Crossed, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, I'll let you get back to that important housework that you need to do and uh, (laughs) keep your phone on. You might get a call from Martina this afternoon. Thanks very much. Okay. Good afternoon. Yeah, same to you, Adam Davis in uh, Waterfall, our latest qualifier on our Snap the App competition. You need to download the C103 app. You download it to your phone and then you take a snap of the screenshot to prove that you have downloaded the C103 app. And by doing that, you, uh, you're then in the draw. But only enter, please, when we give you the heads up and tell you when to send in your screenshot because you won't be in with the draw for the draw uh, otherwise but congratulations uh, to Adam our latest qualifier now Nick Richards is back this afternoon he was on a day off yesterday but Nick will be looking for two more further qualifiers this afternoon and then Martina will go for a fifth and final one and then she makes the draw and one lucky listener gets that call and if you get the call you will be 500 euro better off snap the app download today listen to play all week long only on C103 0818103103 don't forget it is Thursday so if you have a not a gardening question a pet question for Jane Pickett our resident vet you can get your pet questions in now please she'll be joining us later on in this hour you can also text her WhatsApp in we've cleared the WhatsApps now for pet questions please 0862 103 103 let me catch up on some of your calls and comments coming in on some of the issues we've been addressing today we mentioned vaping uh, earlier on and there is talk now that the government are going to introduce tax on uh, vape on not just on disposable vapes, but on e-cigarettes. And they're also going to look at where the disposable vapes and where e-cigarettes can actually be, be sold. Kate has an issue when it comes to vaping. She says she was at a concert recently. She said a well-established concert venue, which she's not naming. And she said there was a guy sitting a few, a few rows in front of Kate and he was vaping during the concert. So he said no one, not one person came over to tell him, please stop doing that. Even though Kate said security definitely saw and noticed that he was vaping. The poor woman who was sitting directly behind this person would have felt the vape more than Kate who was a few rows back. This should not be allowed at a gig. Kate said, I went there to enjoy a concert and then to have this guy vaping. It's so unfair to everybody sitting around him. And vaping, you'll know if you go into majority of venues where you know, we know we're not allowed smoking anymore that's such a that's gone and gone with that uh, years but you'll also see signs up saying no vaping particularly you'll see it inside in a toilet so I'm surprised at a concert venue that nobody went over and told the person to stop uh, vaping Kate 0818103103 and then some reaction to Fimbar Sheehan who joined us earlier uh, talking to us following his stroke the week before last and he's in the high dependency unit and he just needs extra help particularly at night and he was talking about the fact that it's just, it just seems to be absolutely down to lack of staff and the frustration he's feeling so much so that he decided to go public. He's put a lot up on Facebook about uh, his treatment uh, as well and while you know he's not knocking the staff that are there he said they're doing the best that they can but for a 49 year old man who's recovering from a stroke to be asked to wear a nappy 
just because there's no one available to bring him to the toilet is just not in 2024. Just that doesn't sit well with me, I have to say. Mary says that she is a patient in the National Rehabilitation Hospital and Finbar would have a great chance of getting in there. She said he could he, he would get access to it through his public health care nurse. They can refer him to the National Rehab uh, Hospital or maybe his GP could do it. Mary says there's a dedicated stroke unit there and Mary wasn't aware of it until she was admitted to the National Rehabilitation Hospital. She says we do have a problem in our health service but she cannot fault the National Rehab Hospital. She said the work they do, amazing. Patrick was on to say my brother John had a massive stroke last year. He was in CUH for six months. Patrick said I couldn't fault them. We met teams of doctors every week and he got um, faultless care according to Patrick. Like what Finbar described, he was paralysed down one side. Uh, Patrick said the big problem was his brother John was living on his own so when he was discovered they didn't know how long it was since he had had the stroke when he was eventually uh, discovered Now, when he came out of hospital he was put into a nursing home but he just didn't like it in the end he also transferred to the National Rehabilitation Hospital in Dublin and Patrick said it was just simply fantastic he's now back home he's doing well his house has had to be adapted and he has two or three nurses healthcare workers who come in every day and that's all been done through the public system and they're allowing him to live at home, which is fantastic. Send down our best wishes to your brother, uh, John uh, Patrick. Uh, God, Patricia, what are the government doing? They're getting 12 billion euro from corporation tax. Why aren't they pumping it into our hospitals? It was just so upsetting to hear Finbar's story this morning. That's from Mike in uh, Killarney. And someone else says, uh, Patricia, I had a stroke about four years ago. I was also in Cork University Hospital and I have to say four years ago, it was top class care that I got while I was there. And someone else then said back in 2016, they broke an ankle. And like what Fimber said, asked for assistance to go to the toilet. Nobody came. Uh, they, they all said they were too busy. But this listener knows, I don't know what hospital this was in. Some of them were on their phones when they were said they were being too busy. And then no, Audrey says, Patricia, I was listening to your guest, Fimber, talking about the lack of care at, at the high dependency unit. I witnessed for myself the terrible working conditions in CUH at the A&E department on Monday when I spent the day there with an elderly relative. I felt nothing but pity for the young nurses and doctors working there. You couldn't pay me enough money in the world to do the job that they're expected to do. Mistakes, of course, will continue to be made when they're forced to work under such terrible working conditions. The HSE needs a total overhaul. The Minister for Health needs needs to ensure more money is being pumped into the areas that need it the most. You see... To me, therein lies the problem. There's there's so much money put into the health system year after year after year. They exceed the budget year after year. They have to get a bailout year after year. And yet we hear stories like the story that we're getting from Finbar and the story we're getting from Audrey there of what you witnessed in the A&E departments. I do think the A&E departments, the problem is we simply don't have enough A&E departments. And when they closed the ones in Bantry and Mallow and funneled everybody into the city, what did they expect was going to happen? They were going to increase... Uh, 
the workload and then people are just run off their feet. And we've already seen at the University Hospital Limerick, which is probably one of the busiest accident and emergency hospitals, again, because they closed some of the other hospitals around University Hospital Limerick and everybody has to travel in there instead. And we've already seen some very, very sad cases of what's happened because of overcrowding at the A&E and young people, tragically, their lives were lost uh, because of it. So, yeah, I agree with you, Audrey. You can't necessarily blame the doctors and nurses when mistakes are made, when they're working in conditions like that, where it's a trolley on top of a trolley and you're running from one person to the next. 0818103103. Tony in Douglas wants to tie in what's happening in the health service, but also tie in on Garda Síochána because Tony feels that members of Garda Síochána should be paid much higher. He also would advocate for all of all members of the Garda Síochána being armed. He knows a Garda and, who has a young family and they're struggling just to make ends meet. These are the people that protect us in society. These are the people that get up in the morning and go out to work and they don't know what they are facing. And then you have people out there who do not respect them uh, at all, uh, along with our healthcare workers and army and the Garda Síochána, they all need to be looked after. We're not looking after them properly at the moment. 0818103103 and when we were talking about parking spaces earlier and somebody brought up about the fact that there's more mother and toddler, a parent and toddler parking bays than disabled blue bays in some shopping centres and somebody felt that that needed to be looked at. Somebody said, what really frustrates me, the number of people who park in the toddler, the parent and toddler parking bays when they don't have any children with them. It is absolutely shocking. 0818 103 103 and while I was looking for people who had birthdays today for Leap Day, I've spotted another birthday in and it is for Josephine Houlihan from Cove who's described as a forever friend. Isn't that a lovely way to describe uh, a friend? She's officially celebrating her 16th birthday today so you can do the maths there to work age work out what age our Josephine is. Have a wonderful 16th birthday. Marie and Tony Meredith from Cove were on to wish Josephine Houlihan happy birthday and it is a very special birthday for her. 0818 103 103. Diary. With Cork County Council, making Cork County the place to live, work, visit and invest in. See CorkCoco.ie. And a reminder to you, if you have a little girl who you would like to send to Newmarket Girls School, today is the final day for enrolment forms for the 2024-2025 school year. You can email the school office at newmarketgns.ie. Tangarif residents are asked to attend a meeting this afternoon, 1.45, in the local school in Glengariff. It's to help highlight the urgent need for a safe footpath between the school and the nature reserve and also to try to reduce the speed limit in an effort to make school collections and drop-offs safer. Network Ireland West Cork are hosting an event tonight from 7 to 9 in Fusion House Design Centre in Skibbereen. They are a non not-for-profit organisation committed to supporting and empowering women in business and they invite you to join them this evening to network and gain valuable insights from their three special guests tonight. More information on networkireland.ie 
forward slash events. The More The Merrier group, they meet monthly on the last Thursday of every month. So that's tonight, half past uh, seven in Gert Vera Hall in Ballinine. Everyone's welcome for teas, coffee and a little bit of a chat. Kildallery Community Development, they've got their weekly lotto draw four o'clock this afternoon in the community office. Jackpot of €12,600 and tickets are on sale locally. And Dukas Clonakilty Heritage Group are hosting Carol Quinn, Ard Catherine Cond and Catherine Condon, my apologies, from Irish Distillers in Middleton. That's tonight at eight. It's in the Clonakilty GAA Pavilion. They're going to be giving an illustrated talk on the history of Irish whiskey from the Middleton Archive. Admission is five euro and please note it's cash entry only. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. And I didn't realise the wonderful Sister Perpetua of uh, the Mercy Convent in Mallow is another leap year, uh, has a leap year birthday. I was not aware of that. Happy birthday, si- Sister Perpetua. Mary, thank you for your text, uh, Mary. Happy birthday. I, I don't know how many official birthdays says it is for Sister Perpetua but I hope she's having a wonderful uh, day and Mary Ellen was on to say Patricia will you announce that there's bingo in Broadford Community Centre tonight it's an 8 o'clock start and all proceeds from tonight's bingo and the bingo on the 21st of March is going to the Carol and Liam Liston O'Connor fundraising for motor neuron disease remember we had Carol and Liam such a wonderful couple join us in studio last week talking about the devastating diagnosis that Carol got a couple of years ago and there's this huge fundraiser from all of the local community around Broadford, Drumcolour, that general area. They're doing massive fundraising because obviously Carol's house needs to be uh, adapted and obviously her ongoing care and they have uh, five very young children including two little twins. It's just a heartbreaking story but Carol's positivity, I I still she just blew me away, she absolutely blew me away and uh, Liam, her gorgeous gorgeous uh, husband and we're wishing them nothing uh, but luck with the fundraising. So well done. So if you want to go along to the bingo tonight, that's in a really, really terrific uh, cause. And Mary Ellen, you might remind me of the follow-on bingo on the 21st of March. I'd be only too happy to call it out for you. And indeed, any other fundraisers that are going on for uh, Carol's uh, fund, please let me know about it. We're talking about the HSC and, and what's going on in our hospitals. Somebody wants to point out that the HSC are too top-heavy with managers, etc. Kind of too many chiefs and not enough engines. Uh, they're not, there's not enough nurses, there's not enough doctors on the ground. And then this listener says, and to hear that somebody who worked for six years gets a golden handshake from the HSC of €400,000. Uh, there is something very wrong with this country. And that's the story I read about earlier. It is, and the listener is right, it's a gentleman by the name of Dean Sullivan. He was appointed six years ago as the HSC Deputy Director General. His salary was €200,000 and he is after getting a redundancy package of almost 400,000. The HSC Bernard Gloucester said the agreement is based on a mediation process that provides for confidentiality. But even with the confidentiality, it's, it's, uh, it's all over the news uh, today that he got 400,000. Uh, the HSC, of course, is also undergoing structural reform. Now, if that is this, maybe this is the reason that this man is getting his uh, redundancy is because they're undergoing structural reform, which includes the establishments of six 
regional health officers to lead the new health regions. Now, I don't know enough about the six regional health officers that are going to lead the new health regions. But anything I have seen looks to me like it's the old health board structure that they got rid of and put in the HSE and now they're going back to these new health uh, regions and God knows what it's going to cost. But anyway, as part of that, obviously some jobs are going to be made redundant because if this man is getting a redundancy package, it does mean that his job has to be made redundant if he's walking away with uh, 400,000, even though I know somebody's going to say, Patricia, that didn't happen in RTE. People got redundancy packages and their jobs technically were not made uh, redundant. But yeah, you'd have to question when you hear poor Fimber talking about the need for more staff to be on, particularly at night in the high dependency unit. And then you read in the paper that somebody who worked, was appointed to the HSC six years ago. No, I'm assuming, surely he worked at the HSC longer than that. But anyway, the role that he's in that's been made redundant, that's what his redundancy package has been based on. But for anyone to be made redundant and walk away with 400,000, nice job if you could get it for sure. 0818 103 103. And seeing as I just mentioned RTE there when it comes to redundancy packages and we've had people complaining about RTE particularly since all the controversies broke but yesterday when we were addressing what had happened at the Oireachtas Media Committee when I was speaking with Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan who was one of the members of that committee uh, somebody said look at what's going on in RTE it's all repeats. We need to for once and for all they need to find out what is they're going to be their funding model going forward. They're losing, what did we say, 21 million they lost last year on licence fee. They don't have the money uh, coming in. The government needs to take the bull by the horns and decide once and for all what way RTE is going to be funded. Because people are complaining that we always, always seem to be getting our repeats. There isn't a lot of new programmes. And of course, a lot of projects that they were going to work on have been put on hold which you can understand the Director General is kind of steady the ship and he doesn't have the money to go out there to make new programmes. So we're going to end up getting a lot of repeats, which obviously isn't any good for the station. Well, there was a programme that was on last night that wasn't a repeat. And can I suggest to you, if you didn't see it, that you download it on the player because it was a programme that warmed the cockles of my heart, I have to say. And I went to bed last night with a big smile on my face after watching it. And the programme is called Big Life uh, Fix. And it dealt, it would, there was two stories on last night. I think it's running for six weeks in total. Anyway, but there was, there was two stories highlighted last night. But one of them was a little 12-year-old boy, a Liverpool supervan, Dara Gorman. Now, we, you, with the minute you'd see Dara Gorman, you, you mightn't have known his name, but you'd know exactly uh, who he is. He's a little boy who was born with a very rare uh, syndrome where his arms and legs are underdeveloped and he's a wheelchair user. But he shot to fame last September when a video of him crying during the pre- game rendition of You'll Never Walk Alone at the Liverpool home ground in Anfield went viral. I'm open to correction but I think he's a massive, massive Liverpool fan and I think it was his first time ever to go to Anfield and you know if you've ever been to Anfield they, they all start before the game and they'll always sing You'll Never Walk Alone and he just got so emotional about the fact that there he was 
singing the song and he was, you know, getting to see his favourite team play live. And there he was in uh, Anfield and the actual video went viral. It was just one of those beautiful, beautiful videos. And so much so that the guys and gals in Liverpool, including the club's manager, Jorgen Klopp, they got to see the video and they invited Darren to come back over to Anfield. And Jorgen Klopp put up this gorgeous video of him spending time with Dara and I've always thought Jorgen Klopp was a lovely guy but after seeing him with Dara I just thought he had so much compassion and empathy and just such a kind, kind man in the way that he dealt with and spoke with Dara and then he brought him on a tour of the ground and he got to meet up with some of the other uh, team members and he, you know, he was down with Liverpool at their training ground and it was just gorgeous and they put up Liverpool themselves put up their own little video of this Dara coming to see them for the day and it got over 18 million views just on X, formerly known as a Twitter, just on that one account uh, alone. So that's the little boy that I'm talking about. Anyway, he has now taken part in a programme for RTE, this big life uh, fix and he was on it uh, last night and the show, it's been on it was on before. I don't know when it was last on, but basically what the show does is it features a team of designers who go out to create unique inventions to help change people's uh, lives. Now, due to little Dara, due to his arms being underdeveloped, he has two main issues. He's falling behind at school, but he's also falling behind at gaming. Now, gaming is a very important hobby and outlet for little Dara because he's not like every other little 12-year-old boy. He can't go out and kick a football uh, around, but he's able to do gaming and seemingly He's watching him on TV last night. He's really good at gaming. But what he had to do, because he doesn't have arms, he ended up playing his PlayStation, but he did it with his feet, using the controller with his uh, feet. And he was on the show uh, last night and his mum was just talking about how the inventions that were were created in the main by a gentleman called Trevor Vaughan. They have made a huge, huge difference to little Dara's uh, life. It's actually changed his life completely. Beforehand, when he was using his feet, he could only play the Xbox. He couldn't play it any more, any more than 45 minutes because he was getting, he was getting a lot of pain uh, in his feet from the angle at which he was holding the actual uh, controller. Now he's getting to play it with the, his, his little arms are like, they're just stumps on his arms and that's what they invented for him. And now he can play two, three hours straight like any other child when they want to play and, and go online and it's given him great independence and obviously it's got, he's got now I've got this wonderful uh, hobby. Now, he's probably a little bit less excited about the schoolwork uh, side of it, but he's more excited about the gaming uh, setup. But they also designed a bespoke computer design that's made it possible for him to keep up with his peers in classroom. His biggest one was trying to write. He was holding like a pen under his chin and uh, with the the little short arm uh, that he has. But now he can do it all on computer. And it was just, it was amazing. But it was to see the emotion, how emotional this little boy got. I I have to say I cried watching it. I I really did uh, cry watching it. But it just, you know, you come away from a programme and you just feel good after it. And you think these wonderful inventors and how brilliant they are and the minds that they have and the time that they spent to make sure that Dara's quality of life would would be better. Just, you know, I wanted to hug each and every one of them. And then there was a second 
Ellen's story was also in it. Now, I don't have this lady's second name, but I know her name was Mary Aisha. And she's a Limerick woman who is now living in Cork, well, across the border. She's living in, in Milford and she has Parkinson's disease. But Mary Aisha has a great love of running. And we saw her on the show running. And what they did was they went out and they invented a special travelator for her. So now she can run better and she can run longer. And again, she was very emotional when they arrived at the end because what they, if you've if you've never seen this program before, as I say, there was a previous series of it. They come in and they assess the person and see what the person needs. Then they go away and they tweak all of these different ideas and then they come back with their inventions and some of them will work, some of them won't work and they'll go back and they'll tweak with them again and then the program ends up with them presenting the solutions that they have come up. It's a really, really feel good programme and I would suggest to anyone to download it on the player if you didn't see last night's and it is on. It's Last night was episode one so it's on on uh, Wednesday, night, Wednesday nights. It's just after the nine o'clock news. Keep a look out for it. Uh, RTE's Big Life Fix. They get enough bashing for putting on repeats. So let's give them the credit when they put up, put on brilliant programmes like this. Hi Patricia, I also saw that programme. The best programme on TV I have seen. The people who are involved in it are a fantastic bunch of uh, people. I 100% uh, agree with you. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. Pet questions please for Jane Pickett, our resident vet. Get them into us now. You can Call John Paul or you can text or WhatsApp me to 0862 103 103. Cork Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. I'm going to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett uh, joins us. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. Did you get over your strep throat last week? You were barely able to speak. Oh, my goodness. It was days and days. I totally lost my voice on Wednesday and I was very croaky. Um, I've only just got it back in the last day or two, but hey, there's worse things in life. I'm still standing, yeah. so it's all good. Yeah, there's, there is so many viruses and things like that doing the rounds at the moment. Oh, my goodness, there is. It's it's rife at the moment. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, that's time of year, I suppose. Uh, onwards and upwards, which is fantastic. OK, good. Well, good to have you back on the programme. OK, a couple of questions uh, in. Uh, Catherine has a five-month-old cockapoo who is really snappy, so much so he's, he snapped at the vet, actually bit the vet the other day. The vet has suggested that she needs to get some kind of training. Uh, Catherine is wondering how long does that training uh, take? She has small children in the house as well and he's already nipped at uh, a couple of of the small children uh, is is that something that a trainer is able to sort out um yeah so i think really your vet is i would absolutely agree and stand by what they said uh, ultimately early intervention is the way to deal with this you have a young little pup and that's difficult because they can catch on to bad habits very quickly but it also means that their brain is so malleable that they can really catch on to lots of good habits really quickly as well so you have a puppy that's essentially like a sponge to whatever you teach it at the moment so if you're ever going to try and tackle this behavior which is this kind of inappropriate nipping biting which really needs to be tackled from a safety point of view not only for yourselves but obviously if you have small people in the household it's really 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 important um, that it's dealt with effectively 
I would say that now is the time to do that. I wouldn't wait and see if he grows out of it. If you've got that problem and it's established and you have kids in the house, I would take your vet's advice. Ask them who they'd recommend. Um, so maybe they might have recommended somebody already to you, but ask them who, the, who they would know in your area or who they could refer to as a, a veterinary behaviourist that's appropriately qualified and trained to be able to deal with these behavioural issues in a safe and ethical manner. So you want to make sure that your pet is happy and comfortable throughout the training. It's just really impo important that the, the training is based on positive reinforcement, so rather than negative reinforcement, so that they have a good experience. How, actually, you know, how does that work? Do you go with the dog to the training? Is, is that the way it's done it before the pup? Yeah, so it varies. I suppose that, you know, lots of people have different opinions on what kinds of training work best. I suppose the training that I would favour, and let's say for my clients who I would generally kind of send them to would be somebody who would come out to the house in most situations and okay. assess the environment, assess how that puppy interacts with its own owners and the kids in the environment, assess what might be around that might be environmentally, let's say if there's something that's bothering them or something that could be improved that would make them feel a bit less stressed out, that can be helpful. Um, so that kind of approach is a very thorough approach. And generally, that wouldn't be a dog trainer. Generally, that would be a veterinary behaviourist. And there are a few in the country now. They're a bit thin on the ground, but ask your vet who they'd work with. Um, they may be able to refer you. But let's say usual dog trainers, it might be a case of going to a class um, or sometimes you can get one-on-one -on -one training. Generally, in most cases, you would go with the puppy because I think the real critical thing is here, you're not just training the puppy, you're also training yourself mm. because you're the person who needs to be able to you know, positively reinforce that behaviour and be consistent with training your puppy every hour of the day ongoing for the rest of its life rather than let's say you I, just let's say having them go to a dog trainer having a few sessions and expecting them to come back quote unquote kind of fixed is is not realistic this is a lifetime practice it's behavior um so it does it is something that you know it's not second nature to all of us it's not second nature to most people a lot of the time it does take some skill and some learning to to learn how to do that and working with a professional is a really good way to do that but i think until you get that organized safety first just make sure that your kids are safe at home i wouldn't leave them unattended with the puppy i would just make sure that you know the puppy is always under control when it's around them because obviously we don't want any accidents happening mm. but uh, training does really work worrying. training does it does, does work, work. it okay. does work and particularly when you're starting with a young puppy yeah. like that you have the best chance okay another young pup this is a seven month old pup will not walk with the lead i've tried her around the house and outside she hides when she sees me coming with the lead how do you get a pup used to walking on the lead? Okay, so it's a big, exciting time for this puppy, getting out and about. It's a lot of new things all at once when they're this age. Okay, so I think the key here is in they hide when you take the lead out. You need to make that puppy get really excited when you take that lead out, like a lot of dogs do when they when they begin to connect. The lead means I get to go for a walk and I get to sniff and explore the world. We all know how excited most pets get when their lead comes out because they know a good thing's about to happen. Now, your puppy hasn't quite clocked on to the fact that the lead means they get to go out and about and it's big and exciting. They think probably, oh, I'm going to have this thing attached around my neck and then they're maybe going to pull me around a little bit and it's not going to be an enjoyable experience. So we really need to flip that experience for this puppy. And that may take a little bit of time. What I would say is I wouldn't even try to, you know, walk your dog on the lead just yet. I would even just get to the situation of having the lead near him, take him out, take it out and, you know, play some games with your puppy, have the lead in your hand, give them a treat 
tell them they're the best boy and girl in the world. And that's enough for a few days. Do that for a little while. Then get to the point of clipping the lead on. Don't even try and take them anywhere. Exactly the same. Play some games. Best boy or girl in the world. Give them a little treat. You need to work them up to associating the lead with good things before you even try and lead them anywhere. When you get to the point where they're associating that lead with good things and they're excited to see it or at least not not afraid of seeing it, you can get to the point of gently leading them around. Sometimes I know some some people advocate for maybe letting the puppy walk a little bit and you follow it. Now, I wouldn't let that last for too long because you kind of want them to know that, you know, you're kind of leading and you're directing things. But particularly in a, a particularly sensitive or fearful puppy, that can be helpful. So that at least they don't feel like they have any any pull or traction on their neck. And that's really important. You know, the last thing that I would ever suggest with somebody who's having struggles with walking their pet on lead is pulling. That's absolutely the enemy. That's only going to make things worse. So I would really suggest that, you know, once you get your puppy happy with the lead, try and gently even coax them with a bit of food to walk with you a few steps on the lead. And eventually they'll learn that, oh, good things happen when I'm on the lead. I'm walking next to my owner. I'm walking next to my friend here. And eventually you can move into the outdoors. And then usually they get excited about seeing and smelling and sniffing things and give them that time. Don't be intent to go on a power walk with your puppy. Be, be content to go on a sniff walk with your puppy to begin with because that will make them really happy okay, and you'll get there it just takes time Okay stay, stay on the question of uh, lead Could, would you ask your vet Jane please which is the best a harness or a collar type lead for a young pup? <laughs> For a young pup, I quite like a harness. Now, there's no hard and fast rules here with most dogs. Um, It's whatever your preference is. I quite like a harness because then we don't have any kind of, particularly when they're learning to walk on the lead and they might not quite get that they have to keep going in the same direction as you. If they walk in the opposite direction, it doesn't pull pull on their neck and cause any damage. It's more a whole body harness, so it doesn't tend to be uncomfortable for them. Um, So I tend to favour a harness in a young puppy. But look, Lots of people have success with leads and collars. I think the important thing is just not to pull. I think the one exception to that where I'd wholeheartedly recommend a harness over a collar and lead is for the flat-faced breeds, so the brachycephalics. So these would be, let's say, the pugs, the Frenchies, things like that. They really don't do well with anything around their neck. Um, They already have an airway that they're probably struggling with a little bit anyway. So I wouldn't add, let's say, a collar and any kind of pull. So go with the harness. So definitely go with the harness for those guys. Okay, it's all the young uh, dogs uh, today. Tips, please, and suggestions. What's the best way to uh, toilet train a puppy of 14 weeks? 14 weeks. Oh, they're such a cute age. Um, Okay, so I think the top tip I would say is try and take your pet out to do their peas and poos about twice as often as you think they'll need to. So you need to give them all of the opportunities in the world to get it right and to do their peas and poos outside and, you know, less opportunity for them to get it wrong and have an accident inside. And I think the main thing is, is the more times they get it right and when they do their peas and poos outside, you know, tell them they're the best boy or girl in the world, give them a little treat and then continue to play with them for a few minutes. Because I think a lot of the time the temptation is they've done their business, now we go back inside. But then your pup begins to associate, well, I've done my business and that ends the fun. So, you know, they don't get to play around. So keep them outside for another few minutes after they've done their business so that they know that that doesn't end the fun because some dogs will actually hold it until they get back in. Um, And the other thing is if they do have an accident inside, that's not your puppy's fault. 
unfortunately i hate to break it to you but that's your fault you didn't pick up on your puppy signals that they need to do a pee and sometimes that would be you know hovering around maybe a little wolf bark but you know that would be uh, the rarity usually they'll just look a little bit uncomfortable sometimes they might begin to clock on and hover next to the door or just look a little bit uh, unsettled that would be a, a cue to take your puppy outside don't expect it to be obvious don't expect them to be howling at the back door these little guys have got a lot to learn so you need to almost it's almost like a little baby you need to be able to kind of be a mind reader and read those little subtle signals and take them outside if they do have a mistake inside the last thing you should do is scold them don't shout don't scold don't do anything like that just ignore it clean it up and move on the next peer poo is an opportunity for them to get it right outside so just stick okay with it. all right and it's, it's just a lot of patience and then from the younger dogs mm. to an older dog hi a question for jane our 15 year old jack russell has started to wet the floor almost every day and i have to say it smells quite strong we've never had a problem like this before he always waited uh, to do his toilet when he went outside could it be his kidneys should we be heading to the vet with him thanking you I think so. In, in an older patient, I think our caller is bang on there. It's first an important thing to rule out a physical issue. So it could be his kidneys. It could be something as simple as a bladder infection. You know, it might not be it might not be something too serious. That's always a possibility and sometimes quite easily solved. In an older patient, though, you know, there is always the possibility there could be problems like a kidney issue or diabetes. But, you know, a lot of these things are manageable and the, the key is to catch them early so that they can be dealt with. Um, I suppose if all of the physical issues are ruled out by your vet, it is possible that we might have just kind of unlearned our puppy training a little bit. Sometimes we can have situations of kind of cognitive decline. They begin to get a little bit senile, um, for want of a better word, and they kind of forget that, you know, they shouldn't be doing their peas and poos inside. They should be going outside. So sometimes it can be um a little bit of a, a change as they enter their kind of latter twilight years and that's a more difficult thing to cope with but what i would suggest is really attend your vet first and foremost rule out any physical issues if there is something there that can be managed brilliant it's a good thing to act on um and if not then your vet will be able to guide okay. you on the best ways to but a trip the to the vet for sure okay and good luck with it okay listen jane as always thank you for that have a lovely week we'll chat next thursday mm-hmm. You too. Thank you. Thank you. That is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And thank you to the person who contacted us earlier who was having a pop off, Jennifer, our teacher, when we were talking about should we have shorter school uh, holidays. And this texture was of the belief that Jennifer was just trying to get her child out of the way. And then I explained, no, no, you've you've misunderstood there. Well, that person is back to say, Patricia, I apologise. I misinterpreted the teacher and what the teacher was saying about having shorter summer holidays and yes a greater distribution throughout the school year rather than all in the summer is definitely a better idea and that's signed away for this obviously a father you'd be waiting for an apology otherwise woo you saying us females are not going to apologise but thank you I accept your apology Barry says this is on vaping uh, vaping end of story should be banned with immediate effect Ireland should go down the route of Australia and ban it there is going to be knock on side effects for children going forward that we know nothing about. It is disastrous. It should be banned. No point talking about taxing. All that will do is bring more money into uh, revenue.
And hi, Patricia, the tobacco ban that you mentioned is 29 years ago. Whoa, I didn't realise it was that long ago and it has been very successful. Traders have the backup of enforcement officers when it comes to not allowing people smoke on their premises. However, vaping is not technically banned indoors. Mostly it's a business choice to prohibit vaping. So I can understand why that venue didn't go over and ask that guy at the concert to stop vaping. They don't have any legal backup and might be therefore reluctant to do it. It will come in, but it's just going to take time. I'm thanking you. And on wheelchair and disabled bays, Mary Mallow said there is a disabled bay right outside St Mary's Church on Main Street in Mallow. But best of luck to anyone who's thinking of parking there, especially on a wet day. There's a drain blocked there and water logs there on a wet day. Maybe you might give a shout out and the council might do something about it. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and I'll be back with you tomorrow morning morning at 10 o'clock. On to then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Cork Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.